0: United States Institute of Peace, along with Sirius XM's POTUS Channel 124, now present their weekly podcast. Joining me now, Dr. Tegan Blaine is Senior Advisor on Environment and Conflict at the U.S. Institute of Peace, here to discuss that Glasgow Climate Summit. Hi, Dr. Blaine. Good morning. How are you? I'm excellent. How are you? Doing well. So uh, the the big wrap up of the conference what uh, what was the biggest takeaway for you?
1: There are a couple of things that I think are really critical. First off, there was a real focus on net zero commitments, which are down the line commitments for countries to reduce their greenhouse gas emissions. Personally, I was a little bit disappointed that the focus was there because there's so much action that needs to happen in the short term. But at the end, the negotiations did change and asked countries to return next year with commitments for actions between now and 2030, which is an amazing outcome. The second thing that I would highlight is that there was increased attention to the area of the negotiations called loss and damage, which is about how countries are going to address or deal with really existential changes that have the um, risk of destroying society as we know it. Mm. And while there wasn't significant progress in that area, there was far more recognition of the importance of addressing those kinds of issues and supporting those countries.
0: Well, I mean, on the short term, long term, short term seems to me that's that's harder. Right. Um, You can make commitments for the long term and and start to make slow progress toward those goals. But fixing things right now, I mean, in this political climate with global inflation and, you know, the pandemic, it just it just seems hard for leaders to be able to commit to those kinds of things, to short term solutions.
1: I absolutely agree. The problem is that we needed to commit to these things 10 years ago, Mm. 20 years ago, something Mm -hmm. like that. And we didn't. So now the time is quite short.
0: Very true. And I saw some, um, uh, to my eye, disappointing polling over the weekend showing that Americans still aren't really sold on the urgency of the problem. And it often seems to me, Dr. Blaine, that the environment is relegated to the idea of a luxury for more prosperous times that when people have more immediate concerns like inflation, like the pandemic, they just they, they just don't have enough bandwidth to deal with climate crisis.
1: You know, I think that that's very true in the United States, in part because we've been so protected from the damages of climate change. That is not true in other countries that are feeling real risks to food security, water security, health security. And in these situations, this is a life and death situation and will influence the outcomes for societies for a
0: long, long time to come. And what about, uh, what about the very ominous role that climate plays in potential future conflicts? I know that's an area of expertise for you. And when I hear about that, about how uh, migration and famine and drought and all these things uh, affect populations, it seems uh, very disturbing and also imminent,
1: it is imminent. I think that we've seen over the last couple of years that there have been climate emergencies that can really, scientists can say, this is climate change in action. And yes, you're right. We are really looking at the risk of Um, significant migration, significant population movements, and other um, risks to human security. I think one of the most frightening things for me is how temperatures are changing and the number of people who are going to be exposed to extreme high temperatures in the future. This really ups the vulnerability of those countries to violence and disasters and affects people day to day. There's been research that shows that for every half degree that we increase um, the temperature, the um, risk of conflict significantly increases, about 10 to 20 uh, percent increase in risk of armed conflict. And so this is a very immediate concern on top of the human security concerns and the long term risk of migration and displacement.
0: So how did John Kerry do at the big conference? This must have been a big moment for him, the U.S. reclaiming leadership globally on the issue.
1: You know, I think that that is a really important shift. Having the United States back at the conference and willing to work with a whole range of countries sends an important global message also, to me, it was really important that the United States and China seem to have agreed to collaborate again, which is something that that kind of collaboration really dropped over the last few years. It makes a difference having these kinds of leaders on the stage. Um, It'll be, you know, the devil is in the details in terms of how we actually implement this in a way that will maintain peace and not lead to increased conflict, which is so critical for the survival of so many people.
0: Hmm. So um, can you tell us what 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 it means when they're talking about loss and damage in these negotiations? Absolutely.
1: You know, Oftentimes we talk about adaptation to climate change. We talk about the things that we could do differently to adapt. So, for example, we can use water differently. We can store water differently to overcome times when, um, you know, there's a minor drought, for example. And all of those kinds of things are really critical loss and damage goes beyond that. And it really refers to the types of changes that human society can't easily prepare for and adapt to. It's the kinds of things that we in the United States recover from using insurance and using emergency support. So for example, when FEMA's activities, for example, providing housing for people whose housing has been destroyed. That's an example of something that we do to recover from what is considered loss and damage. These Mm. kinds of major changes that human society has a hard time actually adapting to through incremental changes.
0: Is that sustainable, though? Because it seems to me as climate gets worse, those payouts are going to get bigger and bigger.
1: Absolutely, they are. And in certain countries, it means that the, the land is no longer habitable. Mm. So, for example, countries in uh, the Pacific, which are very, very low, which don't have much elevation rise above where the ocean is. As ocean uh, continues to rise, those countries have less and less actual land, actual geography. In addition, as the ocean rises, the salt water basically gets into freshwater areas and can ruin the freshwater that's available to support human society. Those kinds of things we can't recover from. And that's when people are forced into moving away from what have been their homes for many, many decades, you know, generations. Um, and find themselves in in untenable situations.
0: Really interesting. Dr. Tegan Blaine is Senior Advisor on Environment and Conflict at the U.S. Institute of Peace. Dr. Blaine, thank you for joining me this morning.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Great to chat.